Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Om Asatoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Mrityurama Amritam Gamaya Om Shanti 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 Om, lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness unto light. Lead us from death to immortality. Om, peace, peace, peace. Good morning. I usually start by saying another beautiful day in Santa Barbara, and it truly is a truly beautiful day outside. If you just stand outside the temple and you look out, when we look out from there, see the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the vast blue sky overhead. We look out onto this vastness, we are filled with wonder. The starry skies above, last night I was walking back across this road and the skies above, I mean just, I remembered something that I think Isaac Asimov said or quoted, the stars like dust. You know, if you see the Milky Way at night across the sky, it's stars like dust. This vastness of the universe evokes and has always evoked a, a sense of wonder in the human heart. Kant, Immanuel Kant, the great German philosopher, he wrote once that twice I am seized with wonder. Once when I look above at the starry heavens and next when I look within into the soul of man. Twice I am seized with wonder. And it's something that we have all experienced and we would like to know, we would like to ask the question about the secret of this vast universe, about this beautiful and terrible universe, about this sublime and mundane, you know, about the extraordinarily vast and the extraordinarily tiny, this universe which surrounds us, life, our own lives. We would like to know what's the secret of life, what's the meaning of life. To put it simply, what's going on here? And this question was asked thousands of years ago at the very dawn of civilization on the bank of the Ganges, on the bank of the river Saraswati in ancient India. And the answers are found in the Upanishads. In one of the Upanishads, the Mundaka Upanishad, we find this question asked in its most direct form. What is the secret of this universe? What's the secret of life? And this is what I would like to share with you today. The Mundaka Upanishad uh, one interpretation of the name Mundaka is literally means the Upanishad, the, the wisdom teachings for the monks, the shaven-headed ones. But I think it's too, too beautiful to keep to myself, to monks, to the shaven-headed ones. Even if your head is not shaven, I think it's, it's good to share this wisdom. So today we will do a little bit of classical Vedanta. I want to talk about the Mundaka Upanishad, share just the beginning of the Mundaka Upanishad. How profound, maybe the deepest question that has been asked, ever been asked. We haven't surpassed that. And the deepest possible answers, the very beginning of religion, of spirituality, the very heart of spirituality. And I don't mean just in Hinduism, in all traditions, we have not gone beyond that. The question and the answer. So let's begin. And it's going to be a colorful tour. We are going to have the four-headed god Brahma, the elephant god Ganesha making not one but two appearances and so on. Very nice, very interesting the way it goes. It starts up beautifully and I will chant the original Sanskrit. It is um, what Americans call the vibes. You get the vibes from the original Sanskrit. It's beautiful. It starts like this. Om Brahma Devanam Prathamasambhuva Vishwasya Karta Bhuvanasya Gopta Sa Brahma Vidyam Sarva Vidya Pratishtham Atharvaya Jeshta Putraya Praha Om Brahma, 
the creator god was the first among the gods to be born. And there's a, there's a story. And of course, in Hinduism, every line has a story and a story behind it. Vishnu, the lord of lords, god, uh, he was lying, if you know the Hindu mythology, he lies on the thousand-headed serpent on the, the sea of, of, the, of the cosmos. And he dreams. His dream is our universe. Our lives are the dream of Vishnu. But he doesn't create the universe himself. No. In his dream, what happens first? There is a, a lotus which sprouts from his navel. And in the lotus is seated the god Brahma, not Brahman, the ultimate reality, but Brahma. The four-headed, uh, he's got four heads, signifying looking in all four directions, which means he knows everything. He, knows, he sees everything. And Brahma is the first born among the gods. Vishnu, of course, is eternal, God with a capital G. And Vishnu gives the job of creating the universe to Brahma. It transfers all the knowledge and Brahma creates the universe. So I like to think of Vishnu as the original couch potato. You know, <laughs> he's always lying down and sleeping and relaxing. And he watches TV too. Only he is watching TV is our life. He's watching this, the, the, the dream of the universe. It's, it's a tremendous mythology. The imagery is tremendous. So Brahma was the first of the gods to be born. What did he do? Bhuvanasya Karta. Vishwasya Karta Bhuvanasya Gopta. The creator of the universe. He makes this universe. And he protects this universe. And what did he do more pertinent to us this morning? Brahma gave Brahma Vidya, the ultimate, the knowledge of the ultimate. The knowledge of the ultimate reality. Uh, what we would call enlightenment, Brahma Vidya, he gave it to his firstborn, Atharva. So the first of the rishis, the great seers of uh, human civilization, who gave us this Upanishadic wisdom. So they got it from the god Brahma. And now what did Atharva do with it? And there's a very interesting adjective given to Brahma Vidya, the knowledge of Brahman. Sarva Vidya Pratishta. It is the ground of all knowledge. We'll see more later on why it is the ground of all knowledge. But let me mention this. Spiritual knowledge, the knowledge of the reality of this universe out there and the knowledge of the reality within us, who we are, what is the meaning of life, what is the purpose of life. Spiritual knowledge is the ground of all knowledge, is the basis of all knowledge. Basis in, in what sense? In one sense, it gives meaning to everything. It is a fulfillment of all knowledge. In fact, by knowing everything in this world, the sciences, the arts and literature and whatever we are doing, all of it is building up to spiritual knowledge. Somebody told me, true art, real art is that which has at least a drop, an element of the eternal. There must be something of the spiritual that makes art real, lasting, eternal art. So spiritual knowledge, knowledge of God, of the self, the ultimate verities, that is the ground of all knowledge. Sri Ramakrishna put it this way. He said, the zeros, all the zeros taken together, they have no value. You can put string together as many zeros as you want. They still have no value. It's still zero. But put one before the zeros. If you have got one, you've at least got one. And you add a zero to it, it becomes 10. You add one more zero to it, it becomes 100. You add one more zero to it, it becomes 1,000. But all of it derives its value from the one you put before the zeros. And I think I've shared this story with you. I'll tell you briefly. A scientist in India told me this. A young scientist, he had gone for a conference to Japan. And uh, the leading scientist in that conference, a Japanese scientist, shared his life story with the other scientists. I mean, they were, after the conference, they were unwinding in a party. And this scientist told me the Japanese are notoriously uptight, but they relax in parties. And, and this scientist was relaxing and he was drinking and then he was talking about his life. This is the senior scientist, the one who had organized the conference. And he said to this young Indian scientist, you know, I'm the leading figure in my field. My books are prescribed reading in universities across the world. Every year I have publications in the leading journals. I organize seminars and workshops in this country and abroad and I go for sabbaticals to leading universities of the world. I have a beautiful family, I have a car and a house and, and all of it is nothing. 
at this point in life, I feel it's all nothing. And he's saying it's nothing, nothing, nothing. And he started crying. And this Indian scientist, he said, I don't know what seized me without knowing anything. But he said, well, before all those zeros, the nothings, if you put one, then they'll all become meaningful and beautiful. And, and, and even without explaining this, that Japanese scientist, you know, sort of looked up and said, wow, who said that? And the Indian scientist said, well, a mystic in India, Ramakrishna in the 19th century said this. And the Japanese scientist said, that is one wise person. You're right. He didn't even explain what is that one which makes everything meaningful. But Brahma Vidya, Sarva Vidya Pratishtam, the knowledge of Brahman, enlightenment, call it God realization, nirvana, moksha, whatever you call it, is the basis of everything that we do in life. With it, everything becomes meaningful. Without it, we will say it's all nothing, nothing, nothing. And emptiness haunts us. Well, then what happened? He did transmit this knowledge to the rishis and then the rishis transmitted it from guru to disciple who becomes a guru and transmitted to his disciple and so on. A list of teachers and students. How this knowledge of Brahman is being transmitted down the ages. The key word here is Paravaram. Paravaram means from the, the earlier to the later. From the guru to the disciple. In an unbroken chain of transmission. Going back to the gods, to the rishis and down to, the, to us till today. What Atharva got from his father Brahma, he transmitted to... The, to his disciple Angir and Angir transmitted it to Bharadwaja, uh, Bharadwaja and Bharadwaja transmitted it to the Rishi Angiras. The names are not so important. We honor them all as, as the knowers of Brahman, as realized souls and they transmitted it from in this unbroken chain. What is important here is Hinduism insists on receiving this transmission from this unbroken chain of spiritual head, uh, spiritual knowledge. Reading by yourself, going to the bookshop and purchasing a book and reading by yourself and sitting down in, in a uh, chair and thinking it out is useful on the basis of the transmission that you have received from an acknowledged master. But by yourself, it becomes armchair philosophy and it really does not lead anywhere. So, the importance of a guru, many people ask me, uh, is a guru really necessary? Do you really have to get it from a master? You have to get it from a master, then you have to work on it. You have to run with it, you have to work on it. But you have to get it from a master. Swami Brahmananda used to say, even a pickpocket needs instruction in how to pick pockets. <laughs> and this is the knowledge, verily the knowledge of God. And you think you can get it by yourself, you can, you can invent the wheel and the fire by yourself. If we are really interested in spiritual enlightenment, we will not hesitate to get it from a teacher or a guru. And nowadays, of course, it's all available. It's there in the open. Main thing is, of course, we need to get it and then work on it ourselves. Now, anyway, let's go on with the story. What happened next? We have come up to the Rishi Angiras. Now comes the student. The Upanishads are often in the form of question and answer. The student asks a question and the master replies. And the student thinks about it and asks doubts, confusions, and those are clarified by this interaction. Oh, that reminds me, after this class, we'll have a question-answer session. So usually I don't do that, but today I'll do it. We'll, after the class, after the closing song and everything, those who are going to leave can leave. Five minutes after that, we'll re reassemble back here. Those who are interested can stay back for question-answers. I can't promise enlightenment, but I do promise a kind of transmission, but I know I can transmit. Now the student comes on the scene, and the, really the story starts now. The disciple comes, Shaunaka. What kind of disciple? Mahashalo. This requires a little bit of explanation. In ancient India, religion 
was not the Hindu temples you see. Now, there are a lot of Hindu temples coming up in USA also. We have this huge one in Chino Hills, which I visited recently. But th this was an age before the age of the temples. And religion at that time, like most ancient religions, they were fire sacrifices. You built altars, which were called Yagya Shala, the uh, place of sacrifices, fire sacrifice. And you put, um, you put butter, they call it ghee, and other curd and other offerings into the fire with the chanting of Vedic mantras. That was the kind of conventional religion in those days. So Shaunaka is described as a person having great sacrificial altars which indicates that he was a rich and successful man. Now this is important. Again and again we find in the Upanishads, in the ancient traditions, people who come seeking, they are usually successful, strong, competent people. They have seen life and have seen through life. Now they want something more. They are asking, is there more to it? They've not been defeated by life in that sense. Oh, I, I couldn't do anything in life, so let me go and become an enlightened master. Not that way. I remember standing in front of the main monastery in, in, near the Ganges, in, near Calcutta, in Belurmat. And this young man came up to me and bowed down. Swami, bless me. They want blessings. I said, blessings for what? Well, I'm going for this job interview. And I'm trying, but I've been failing all along. And Swami, I take this vow now, that if I fail in this one, I'm going to come here and become a monk. I, I sort of said, well, uh, um, I don't think you should do this at this point. Maybe you should keep on trying, you know, and I, I, I really, really pray that you get the job. <laughs> you know, <laughs> come and become a monk. That's not a person who can become a, a spiritual seeker. It's reading, I think it was in probably Crime and Punishment, a, a Russian novel in which a young man wants to become a Russian, a monk in the Russian Orthodox Church. And he's facing his university examinations. He said, I don't want to go through that. I want to become a monk now. I'm so impatient for God. And the wise old father, the abbot of the monastery says to this young boy, it's wonderful that you want to find God. But to be a monk, you have to be patient all your life. And you cannot, you don't have the patience to wait for two months to complete your examinations. Actually, he didn't want to do the examinations. That's why he wanted to become a monk. But the abbot said that. You need patience all your life. The Buddha, the great story of the renunciation of the Buddha. The Buddha renounced, he was a prince. He had a kingdom to renounce. We had this old Swami, uh, when the young man would come to become a monk, he would ask, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to renounce the world. What world do you have to renounce? What exactly is it that you are renouncing? So, we see through life, you have experiences in life. And then you say that, is that all? Isn't there anything more than this? Houston Smith, in his beautiful book, Religions of the World, in his chapter on Hinduism, he says, after tasting the greatest, the finest products of our civilization, we still ask, is this all? Isn't there more? After Bach, and he writes, after Bach and Mozart, we still ask, is this all? Isn't there anything more beyond this? So Shaunaka is at that stage in life. He sees through life. He has experience. He's a rich and competent person and, uh, and has experienced everything in life. But now once has this most profound of questions. He comes to the Rishi, Angiras, and, he, and it said, he approaches him, Vidivad Upasanna, approaches him in the proper manner. Now, what is the proper man manner of approaching um, a spiritual master? So in ancient India, they had a tradition. Basically, you have to offer something and approach reverentially. Uh, the, in the sense that I am asking for this knowledge because the master does not give knowledge unless you ask for it. See, you ad nowadays we advertise and then people come, it's on the website, and then I'm going to call you, come, I'm going to give you a spiritual talk. See, one Swami in the Himalayas told me that both the speaker and the talk are cheapened that way. So you have to, the, the, the spiritual master is somebody we seek and then we approach with humility and reverence and they say you have to give, give an offering and traditionally the offering was, remember they had these big fire sacrifices. So one of the offerings was a bundle of firewood. 
So that became a kind of symbol that you want spiritual knowledge. You give a bundle of firewood. The funny thing is, I mentioned this somewhere else. And a couple of days ago, a devotee, a lady came up and Swami, I have this gift for you. And she was very sincerely and very affectionately. She bowed down and she opened this little packet and there was a little bundle of wood there. <laughs> Luckily, I remembered what I had said so I could put it together. Otherwise, I would have been mystified completely. <laughs> But it was actually uh, very well chosen. It was some kind of very expensive incense in the form of firewood, little bundle of firewood. And Shaunaka does that. I'm sure he puts his bundle of firewood in front of the Rishi or whatever and bows down and he asks his question. When you go to a spiritual teacher, ask a spiritual question. Not, Swami, what do you think of the election? No, that's not a question. <laughs> and in India, believe me, we face all kinds of questions. Because we have schools and colleges and hospitals, a person comes up and bows down reverentially. I think he's going to ask me about God or the self or the meaning of life. And he says, Swami, how can I get my son admitted in your school? <laughs> ask a spiritual question. And Shaunaka asks the greatest of all possible questions. He asks, Kasminnu bhagavo vigyate sarvamidam vigyatam bhavatiti. O holy sir, by knowing what? Is everything in this universe known? Tell me that one thing by knowing which I will know everything that is to be known in life. What a profound question. Let's dwell just a little while on this question. You see, how is it possible that you can know many things by knowing one thing? It works like this. Suppose there is a golden necklace and there is a golden bracelet and a golden um, a ring and somebody comes and asks you what is the reality of all of these things you'll say gold it is gold alone which has been manufactured and shaped into a necklace or a ring or a bracelet by knowing the substance you know everything in a sense which is made of that substance by knowing gold I know all golden ornaments You'll say, wait a minute, you don't know the different shapes and names and the types of golden ornaments? That is true. But I do know one thing. I know whatever ornament the goldsmith makes out of the gold. It is gold. Yes, it is gold alone. Whatever ornament you make, whatever you coin out of it, whatever you manufacture out of it, it's going to be gold. I know in a sense, I know in a sense what all those things are. If you know the cause... Cause in the sense of material cause. There are two kinds of causes. Um, a potter comes and makes a pot out of clay. The clay is the material cause and the potter is the efficient cause. The one who made the pot. But here we are talking about the substance, the material cause, the reality behind everything. All those waves in the ocean out there, the big ones, the small ones, the bubbles, the foam, the surf, all of that is one thing. It's water. If you know that, you don't know all of them in detail. You don't know what kind of waves are going to come the next moment. But you, you know one thing for sure. It is water. All these different kinds of furniture here, then this temple and everything. We know all of that is one thing. It's wood. Is there one reality, one spiritual substance in which this entire universe, all of us and everything around us, is that one real thing appearing in so many different forms? What is the one root cause which is appearing as all these effects? If you know the one cause, you know the many effects. Again, in a sense. You see, one thing to be appreciated is when the goldsmith makes a necklace out of gold, he is not really making anything in the sense of creating anything. Nothing new is added there. Do you, do you see that? It's the same substance. And if the goldsmith is not particularly honest, it might be a little less afterwards. <laughs> it is this, it's never more. He has not made gold. He's not made gold. In fact, we do not manufacture anything. Matter and energy, time and space are given. We only fiddle with it. We, trans, trans, we uh, convert one thing into another. We give shape to it and name to it. What is a necklace? It is the same gold, not one bit more. With a new name, necklace. And a new form. 
None of it is any different in reality from the gold out of which it is made. Isn't that so? The effects, all the effects, they are nothing but the original material, the gold. The original substance, the same value, the value is increased only by adding a new necklace and a, and a new name and giving it a new brand. Especially the, the money, you pay more money for the brand than for the gold itself. So, nothing new is created. It's only a form and a name. In Sanskrit, this is called Nama Rupa, name and form. Another name for name and form in Sanskrit is Maya. Is Maya, appearance. Maya literally means appearance. What Shaunaka is asking is tremendous. After all, gold is also not an ultimate reality, nor is the water or wood. They are not ultimate realities. What is the one ultimate reality which is appearing in all these names and forms? All these people, my events of my life, all these, this, this house, this sky, this, this, the mountains and the ocean, all of that. Is there one reality? Is there one reality? Can you tell me that reality? Then I will know everything, what everything is, in a sense. I don't know the varieties. I don't know what will come up in the next generation. You know, we already come up with the iPhone 7. I can't imagine what will come up in the next generation. I don't know that. But I will know if you can tell me that one reality, what it all is. There's a story about a businessman who fell on hard times in India. And he was a devout businessman. He was very devoted to Ganesha. I don't have to tell you what Ganesha is because it seems to be strangely popular in America. <laughs> Somebody said, why not? Everybody loves an elephant. They are cute. So, so he was de devoted to Ganesha and he had a golden Ganesha, which he worshipped. So now he had to borrow money. So he had to pawn it and he took it to the pawn shop. And uh, he said, how much will you pay me? What's the rate for this? And the, the shopkeeper, he weighed the Ganesha statue and he said, I'll give you at this rate, at this rate per ounce or something, per, per gram of, of gold or something. And then he said, here is the mouse, you know, Ganesha's Vahana, the, the mount, each of the gods has their own mounts. So Ganesha's Vahana is the, is the humble mouse. So he's a golden mouse too. And how much for the mouse? And uh, the shopkeeper said, why the same, same rate? And the man was outraged. You know, in Hindi he said, Kya Ganesh ji ka jo rate, ka bhi wahi rate. What? The same rate for Ganesha and the same rate for the mouse. Have you no religion, man? <laughs> <laughs> and the shopkeeper said, I'm sorry, sir. For you, it's Ganesha and the mouse. For me, it's gold. It's just gold. He sees it as the reality behind the image. Whatever it has meaning to you, but for me, it is gold. In the same way, is there one reality which appears as Ganesh and the mouse and me and the next person in this world and the stars and atoms and dolphins and dogs and cats and everything? Is there one reality? By knowing which one can know everything. And the Rishi replies, we are, we are all students of Vedanta, so you know that the answer is going to be Brahman, the ultimate reality. But just to put you out of your tension if you had any. But let's see the unique way he presents it. It's a beautiful teaching. The answer comes. Tasmai sahovacha dvevidye veditavye itihasmayad brahma vidovadanti parachaiva paracha To him who had asked this question with reverence, the Rishi replied, knowledge is verily of two kinds. Instead of giving him the answer directly, he says, wait, you want to know knowledge, but knowledge is of two kinds. Thus, we have been taught by the ancient masters. See, he's humble. He does not take credit. We are so proud of being original in, our, in this day and age. We, have, we don't worship God anymore, but we worship creativity. Talented people, artists, writers, they are the saints of, of, the, of the 20th and 21st century. We worship creativity and that's good. But look at the other way around also. The Rishi says, I have not in invented this knowledge. It has been transmitted down since ancient times. Brahmavida, the, the knowers of Brahman have told us this and they have transmitted this knowledge. I give it unto you. Knowledge is of two kinds. What are the two kinds of knowledge? Para. Apara, Sanskrit words para, apara, 
Para means higher. And hence today's subject, the higher knowledge. Para vidya, the transcendental knowledge, the higher knowledge, the ultimate teaching. Apara, the other, the lower knowledge, the relative knowledge. These two kinds. What are they? What is the lower and relative knowledge and what is the higher knowledge? And the Rishi goes on. Tatra para rigveda yajurveda samaveda atharvaveda shiksha kalpa vyakaranam niruktam chando jyotishamiti First he says, what is the lower knowledge? And he sets out before Shaunaka, the disciple, the entire syllabus of the university. Whatever was there at that time, the four Vedas, the ancient scriptures of the Hindus, the Rig Veda, the Yajur Veda, Sama Veda, Atharva Veda, and the auxiliary sciences. To understand the Vedas, there were certain things you needed to understand. So, for example, Shiksha. Shiksha means the, the manuals of pronunciation. How do you pronounce the Vedas? There's, there are whole uh, technicalities, you know, books for pronouncing the Vedas properly. Kalpa, the, the ways of performing the fire sacrifices. Vyakaranam, grammar, Vedic grammar, something older than the classical Sanskrit grammar. Niruktam, the dictionary of Vedic terms. Uh, Chandas, the, the poetry of the Vedas, the meters in which the Vedas are written. Um, Jyotisha, nowadays Jyotisha is astrology. Uh, but in those days, Jyotisha meant uh, the study of the star positions for determining the correct time for the fire sacrifices. So they had to determine particular times for the fire sacrifices. All of this, basically what he means is, all the sciences, religion, literature, science, whatever is all the branches of human knowledge, except that which reveals the ultimate. All the branches of human knowledge, whatever we look in the world, that is relative knowledge, the lower knowledge. Why is that the lower knowledge? It's like this. Remember our idea of cause and effect. The one cause, gold, can appear to you as many ornaments. The one substance, water or wood, can appear to you as the myriad waves of the ocean or all this in the temple today. The chair you're sitting on and all of this is the same, same substance, wood. Now, if you want to study the effects separately, if you want to study the effect separately, the necklace and the gold uh, and the ring and the bracelet, you want to study each of those waves, if you want to study all of this separately, this would be the lower knowledge. Study of the things which we experience in the world. And study of the root cause is the higher knowledge. Why is this lower and why is that higher? Consider this. All the effects are nothing more than the Cause. They are just names and forms with the original cause. All effects come and go. You see, it was a tree, then it was um, became a log of wood, now it's a pillar in a temple. A thousand years later, we don't know what it will be. But all the time, you can say it will be one thing. It's wood. As a tree, as a log of wood, as a pillar in the temple, as something else a thousand years later. Of course, until it decomposes, because even wood is not the ultimate reality. But the tree, the log of wood, and the pillar, these are effects. They come and go. The entire universe is full of things and people and events which start and which end. We are born and we die. Things are created and they are destroyed. The cause continues. The gold was not born when it was made into a necklace. The necklace was born then. When the necklace is melted and made into, say, a bracelet, the gold remains the gold. It was the necklace in the form of a necklace. It's in the form of molten gold. It's the form of a bracelet. The bracelet is now born. Effects are born and effects disappear. But the root cause continues. So knowledge of the effects is of a lower order than the knowledge of the root cause. Because the root cause continues, the effects come and go. If there is some ultimate reality which remains before we were born, right now and after we die, the knowledge of that is of a higher order than the knowledge of say my body or of my mind. These are all interesting things to know. But these come and go. That is higher. Another reason 
why the knowledge of the root cause is higher is because the cause pervades all the effects what do i mean by that the cause is not limited by the effects consider a gold bracelet and a gold necklace a bracelet is not a necklace they look different the names are different bracelet necklace their uses are different one is here and one is here so they are not they are different from each other but the gold which was the bracelet and the gold which is the necklace it's the same gold especially if it is the same gold which has been melted and made into a necklace as far as the cause is concer concerned can you see that it continues from one effect to another it is not limited the gold didn't disappear when the necklace was melted the gold wasn't created when the bracelet was created it continues it is not different the gold there and the gold here they are not different it's the same gold whereas the ornaments are different as human beings you and i are different our bodies are different our minds are different our likes and dislikes our knowledge and ignorance they are all different from each other but if there is one spiritual substance reality which appears as you and as me then there we are one where the whole universe is one it is not limited by being you or by me by being living or non living by being the vast galaxies or a tiny atoms and quarks it is one in all of that so the knowledge of that one is the higher knowledge and the knowledge of everything of the effects is what we call physics fundamental particles chemistry the study of the elements biology the study of life all of these are effects the study of effects but that knowledge which brings us to the ultimate reality will be the study of the cause and see the rishi points out to shaunaka that's what you're asking for that's what you're asking for you're not asking for a lesson in physics or chemistry or music or language you're asking for the one reality which is experienced by us as the particles of physics as the elements of chemistry as the different languages of the world as our life so that one reality the knowledge of that is the higher knowledge so now what is that higher knowledge and the rishi says paraya tadaksharam adigamyate the higher knowledge is that by which the akshara is realized it pays to learned the sanskrit word it's a beautiful mystical word akshara we write it as a k s h a r a akshara literally means the immutable the indestructible akshara that which changes that which is destroyed akshara that which is unchanging the word itself is an indicative we as we experience ourselves we are very much akshara we are born we grow older we go diseased we grow sick and we die there's no doubt about it there's a one forget religion spirituality science one indubitable fact about our lives is that everybody dies we are definitely kshara these bodies die change and die minds change all the time we can see it our own minds throughout the day good mood bad mood i'm feeling great i'm not feeling so good i know something i forgotten something else minds are changing continuously but what is there is a one unchanging reality that's what the rishi tells shaunaka that which appears as this changeful world within us we have that unchanging reality and the knowledge by which you know that unchanging reality is called paravidya the higher knowledge what is that unchanging reality now we come to the real answer i understand what is gold in all the ornaments i understand what is water in all the waves i understand ornaments come and go gold remains i understand ornaments are names and forms gold is the reality but that's just gold or water or wood these are examples what is the reality of my life of my changing life what is the reality behind this universe within me the answer comes in the next uh, mantra the the rishi says 
ಯತ್ತದ್ರೇಷ್ಯಮಗ್ರಾಹ್ಯಮ ಅಗೋತ್ರಮವರ್ಣಂ ಅಚಕ್ಷುಶ್ರೋತ್ರ ತದಪಾಣಿಪಾದ ನಿತ್ಯಂ ವಿಭುಂ ಸರ್ವಗತಂ ಸುಸೂಕ್ಷ್ಮ ತದವ್ಯಯ ಯದ್ಭೂತಯೋನಿಂ ಪರಿಪಶ್ಯಂತಿ ಧೀರಾ ಯು ಕೆನ್ ಪ್ಯಾಕ್ ದ ಹೋಲ್ ಆಫ್ ರಿಲಿಜನ್ ಇನ್ ಟು ದಿಸ್ ದಟ್ ಒನ್ ರಿಯಾಲಿಟಿ ಬೈ ನೋಯಿಂಗ್ ವಿಚ್ ಎವ್ರಿಥಿಂಗ್ ಇಸ್ ನೋನ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಏಸ್ ಅದ್ರೇಷ್ಯಂ ಇಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಇನ್ವಿಸಿಬಲ್ it is not it is not something that whatever you see with your eyes hear with your ears taste smell touch that is the surface of things you do not actually access the ultimate reality with eyes or ears have you seen it yeah and it's not brahman not the, not akshara but that which appears as the visible world behind the visible world the ground of the visible world that is that akshara can you walk to it can i go on a pilgrimage can i go to india and go to this himalayas and walk down to it and find it agrahyam it is not accessible to any of our motor organs you cannot walk on a pilgrimage and receive it you cannot go and catch hold of it and you cannot none of our motor organs can grasp it agotram without a source the word gotra is very interesting in india gotra means your family lineage your father and your grandfather and, and and where do you trace your descent from so all indians will take pride in tracing the descent from a spiritual master from a rishi all the gotras are in the names of the rishis and it also tells you something if we are descended from the rishis then they they couldn't have been monks they must have been householders so the spiritual knowledge is not limited to monks and nuns in fact all of the spiritual knowledge most of the rishis the teachers were actually married people householders so the great prophets the teachers of humanity many of them some of them were monks so agotram but this akshara the ultimate reality has no lineage there is no source from which it is sprung from it everything comes you know every religion says god is the uncaused cause cause of the universe but no cause of its own agotram avarnam literally means without color but what it means is without any quality you cannot ascribe any quality to it it is nirguna beyond quality and achakshu chakshu shrotram tadapani padam you know often we say god is all knowing brahman is all knowing but not all knowing in the way we know with eyes and ears it's without eyes and without ears without the hands without hands and feet hands and feet are in the body that is without eyes and ears hands and feet it is all powerful but not not with you know the hands and feet it's all knowing but not with eyes and ears as pure consciousness itself nityam it is eternal sarvagatam it is all pervading you see all effects the cause is pervade it pervades all effects in all the waves of this oceans they are all different from each other they're so varied they come and go all the time but what is the one common thing pervading all the waves through and through water yes in the same way the cause the root cause akshara pervades everything everything what all of this here it pervades everything sarvagatam susukshmam very subtle extraordinarily subtle why extraordinarily subtle we'll see a little later is the subtlest of all things which manifests as the subtle and the gross tadavyayam that unchanging reality bhutayonim paripashyanti dhiraha that akshara the wise the enlightened they see as bhutayoni bhuta means all beings yoni source the place of birth of all beings the source of all beings that unchanging reality the wise see as the source of everything in your life such a thing is there it's here right now if it's all pervading it must be here if it is eternal then it must be now also right and if it pervades all things then everything here must be that akshara but where here is the crux if there's one thing you take away from all of this it's right now i'll point out that akshara to you that akshara the upanishad will go on to tell us is you you yourself are that akshara you see it's funny there's this story of a of a of a rich man who was traveling in a train in india 
and there was this very shifty looking guy in the bunk across him and this rich man he took out a bundle of rupees currency and would count it out and put it back in his bag and this other guy who was a thief he stared with bug you know bug eyed at that and he waited for the rich man to go to sleep and then when the man went to sleep this thief would sneak up and searched to get that money he would take the money and get off the train you know but he couldn't find the money this he was puzzled and the man shifted in his sleep so the this thief quickly jumped back into his bunk and the man got up and he counted the money again and he put it back somewhere and the thief was going wild that night again he he tried to find sneak in and tried to find the money he couldn't find it and the next morning the journey was coming to an end the rich man was about to get off the train and the thief said sir i'm i'm going crazy i must admit admit i'm a thief and i was trying to see, steal all your money but i can't find it i'm just going crazy i mean you must tell me where did you hide it and the rich man said i know what you were trying to do my friend i hid it under your pillow <laughs> it was under your pillow the last place you would look this akshara is well hidden it's you yourself the one who is searching is the thing you are searching for consider this let's look at it this way adrishyam invisible are you visible or invisible say yeah, right i'm right here in front of you swami ah but your body is right here in front of you, you can see your body look deeper even your mind it's visible not to me i'm not a telepath don't worry but it's visible to you when when you look inside when we look inside our minds we can see our thoughts feelings i feel good i feel uh, not so good i understand what he is saying i'm puzzled by what he is saying all of these things in my mind are visible to me but that which watches the mind right now is it visible can you see it with your eyes can you touch it with your hands can you even know it with your mind no it knows the mind the mind doesn't know it invisible you are that without cause it cannot be grasped by any of the motor organs of course you cannot catch hold of it anyway you cannot walk to it it's you yourself it is the source of all things it has no source so of course i have a source i know my date of birth i was born body was born you have absolutely no conception of your own birth if we could remember our birth what would we see we would experience being born the body coming out into this world that's what we would experience we would never experience ourselves as awareness as consciousness being born no there is no source to you the the the, the consciousness the witness consciousness agotram avarnam without any attributes every attribute is out there the sky is blue though it really it isn't but it looks blue the the water is blue and the grass is green and the body is white or brown or black and the mind is happy or sad knowledgeable or ignorant memory is sharp or fading away these are all attributes belonging to things which we experience what is the attribute of the one which experiences without attribute you are that nityam eternal there is no beginning to you no end to you the things arise and disappear in you the consciousness think about beginnings and ends birth and death who experiences beginning and end who experiences birth and death it is you the eternal consciousness vibhum vibhum means all pervading just as gold pervades all ornaments made of gold water pervades all the waves in the ocean you the consciousness you pervade every experience in your life everything that we know in our lives everything that we have experienced we are under the illusion that there was something and we went out and experienced it a person a thing a fo- food something we tasted something we smelled no think about it isn't it a more accurate to say eating smelling touching talking love hate all of that arose and shone in our consciousness and again disappeared back into consciousness isn't it a more accurate way of saying if you say there is the chocolate chip cookie it exists now i go and taste it is that true 
or is it more true to say the chocolate chip cookie and tasting it are experiences in my awareness if you say that chocolate chocolate chip cookie existed outside your awareness and then it came into contact with your awareness you have no proof for saying such a thing the only things we can talk about are that which we experience it's a logical conundrum you cannot jump out of it sarvagatam you pervade everything in the universe in fact just as gold pervades all ornaments and water all waves you that unwitnessed witness that unknown knower of everything you pervade every experience in your life sarvagatam susukshmam subtler than the subtlest the physical world is called gross gross not in a not in the sense of being gross but physical physic gross body again i'm not saying that our body is gross it might be a very beautiful body but gross in the sense of being physical mind is subtle thoughts feelings emotions subtle subtler than the mind is the consciousness which radiates through the mind you so you are susukshmam subtler than the subtlest bhutayonim you are the source of the universe you are the source of the universe the universe and your life our lives are nothing but names and forms projected over us the existence consciousness place look at yourself you will find existence being look deeper you will find you are aware of your being look deeper you will find an eternal unchanging joy in this awareness and being sat chit ananda existence consciousness bliss this is the akshara and you us all of us we are that akshara we become all just like gold becomes when many ornaments know that akshara and you know everything in the universe know yourself you know everything in the universe as yourself they'll all be manifestations of you who are that existence consciousness place i promised the story about ganesha before i finish the story about ganesha goes this way ganesha's mother parvati and his father shiva the story the mythology so there was a challenge i don't know who put the challenge maybe narada or some he's a famous story about ganesha so ganesha is a little god with a elephant head and a big tummy and his brother is kartikeya a very fit young not a young man a young god who is the god of war and and very fit of course being the god of war and everything and so the sage comes and uh, i think it was narada and he says i'll give you this beautiful mango is the first person who can go round the universe the first one who can go round the universe i'll give you that beautiful mango and kartikeya says okay i'll do that kartika ganesha's brother he says okay consider it done i'm going to win anyway look at ganesha i mean he's he's short and fat and and just look at me i'm so powerful and strong and fast and my mount kartika's mount is the peacock and so i can fly though the peacocks can't fly too well but anyway it can still fly <laughs> i can fly around the universe and ganesha's mouse a uh, mount is a little mouse how far can he go consider it done and he hops on his peacock and off he goes to circle around the universe while he's flapping away ganesha you know he's still relaxing he hasn't got to move on he takes time he's he's got this big pot belly and things like that and he's a very slow mover uh, so after some time and his mother asks aren't you going to do something about it dear and he says well if you insist mom and he gets up doesn't even go to the mouse the mouse you, know, you can you can imagine it sort of sweating you know here he comes again <laughs> <laughs> oh boy i wish he would shed a few pounds but he doesn't even go to the mouse he folds his hands and he bows down to his mother and father shiva and parvati and then he walks around shiva and parvati and he comes around them and he bows down thus do i go around the universe jagato pitaro vande parvati parameshwaro i salute the parents of the universe shiva and parvati you see now we understand the meaning of this story when kartika comes flapping back after and he sees ganesha just about licking off the rest last of the mango 
what's this? It's unfair. I don't believe it. I don't think he's gone around the universe. He says, I don't need to. I went around the reality of this universe. Shiva and Parvati. God, Akshara, Brahman is the reality which appears as the universe. You went through the lower knowledge, knowing everything in detail. Physics and chemistry and literature and art and science and history and so on, archaeology and marine biology and whatnot. Astronomy, what, what not? You went through all of that in detail. I went straight to the Sat Chit Ananda. You do not know one in reality, in essence, you do not know one thing more than me. Ganesha's way is the way of the Akshara, Akshara Brahman, the immutable Brahman. And that's what we are. From this Akshara comes this universe. I'll just add one more mantra which Rishi said because it's so beautiful. And then I'll stop. Afterwards, we'll go on to the question answers. I'm sure you have lots of question answers, uh, questions. The next mantra, Rishi says, how the universe emerges from the Akshara, from the ultimate reality, how the universe emerges. Yathor nanabhi shrijate grinhate cha Yatha prithivyam oshadhaya sambhavanti Yatha satah purushat keshalomani Tathaksharat sambhavati havishwam Connected. I am seeing this world. You are talking about some akshara. What's the connection? And he says, just like a spider spins a web out of its own being and retracts that web. So also all these effects appear in Akshara, the Brahman, Akshara, and they disappear into it. Birth of human beings, of plants and animals, of universes, they come up and they disappear back into the Akshara, like a spider spins the web. I remember an old, reading an old Indologist, an Englishman, writing in 18th or 19th century, I think. The Hindus worship a huge spider. No, we don't. That's one thing that's lacking in the pantheon of Hindu gods. It's an example for God's sake, not for spider's sake. <laughs> it's an example. It clearly says just like as an example. Just like means an example. As a spider spins a web. The example is shown, is given to prove out of its own being. Out of its own being means this universe, though it seems to be very different from Brahman or God or whatever, is nothing other than God. As Vivekananda used to say again and again, never approach anything except as God. Because the ultimate truth is that every person you meet, every event in your life, you yourself are nothing other than God. That Akshara. Yatha prasivyam oshadaya sambhavanti. As on this earth, plants and herbs and shrubs grow effortlessly. Spider puts forth some, some effort. It's the very, the plants take the very substance of the earth and come up here. Brahman effortlessly in that appears this universe. And yatha satav purushat keshaloman, as in our own body, uh, hair, nails, and all of this grow. You see, the, the, the meaning of this example is, as from a living body, the non-living, this, this grows and it drops away. In the same way, from pure existence comes this changeful world. From pure consciousness comes this insentient world. From pure bliss comes happiness and misery. From the cause which is very different comes an effect which is very different. To prove that, they say from a living body comes nail and hairs and all that. Tathaksharat sambhavati avishvam. From the akshara indeed arises this universe which you experience. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Let me end with a peace chant. This is my favorite peace chant. And when I translate, I promise you, if you have heard this talk, you will understand every word of that chant. Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnamevavashishyate Om Shanti 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 Om That Akshara I'm adding the word Akshara That is infinite This world we see This is also infinite 
from that infinite has arisen this infinite recognizing that infinite in this infinite the infinite alone remains oh peace 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 thank you you've been listening to the voice of vedanta podcast from the vedanta society of southern california thanks for listening